everybody. Welcome to Offbeat Wall Street. I'm Frank Miller. And every week we take the podium in front of the party faithful and espouse the benefits of our program. And while we're at it, we pass on to you all the best information about Wall Street and the financial markets. Because, hey, that's just the kind of people that we are. And this week, of course, we have politics on our mind. The Republicans just wound down a bit of a crazy convention in Cleveland, which is one of our favorite cities, by the way. Yeah, Cleveland rocks. Meanwhile, the Democrats are gearing up for their blowout this week. Now, Donald Trump says that he's the best candidate for the presidency because of his strong business background. He says that his years as a successful developer will make him a good steward for the U.S. economy. Of course, Hillary Clinton's going to say that Trump's years as a serially bankrupt casino boss will make him a bad steward for the U.S. economy. But what'd you expect him to say? Yeah, I think he's going to be great. I'm just going to pack it in and go home. Eh, you know. Hey, but every four years, both parties claim they have the right program for economic growth, right? And we're going to try to figure out who actually has the edge historically. Are Democrats or Republicans better at managing the economy? Well, we'll give you a straightforward and definitive answer, sort of. A bit of an asterisk. Hold on to that thought. Politics are affecting things overall overseas as well. Officials in Europe are still trying to work out the implications of the recent Brexit vote. Yeah, remember that? And uh, we'll let you know the latest maneuvers there. And as always, we'll take a look around at what you may have missed last week in the world of finance. And we'll also look ahead and peer into the crystal ball to see what's in store for the markets. This is the Feeding Our Foodless edition of Offbeat Wall Street. I say to you, can any longer, oh no, can any longer play off black against old, young against poor. This country cannot house its houseless. Feed its foodless. All right, let's take a look at some of the big stories from last week. Corporate news has dominated the headlines recently. Wall Street is now in the middle of its earnings season, the once-every-three-month rush of quarterly reports, and Microsoft was a highlight of last week's corporate results. The software giant reported a quarterly profit that trumped analyst estimates... No pun intended. The strong bottom line reflected strong growth in its cloud business, and this included better than 100% growth at its Azure unit. Yahoo also reported its quarterly results last week. The company's profits came in a bit below what analysts were looking for, but revenues were able to come out slightly ahead. The specifics of the earnings report were secondary, though. Yahoo's been working on streamlining the company, and it now has the lowest headcount in a decade. That's all part of a sale process that's meant to find a merger partner for the one-time Internet giant. Elsewhere, Netflix got a rough reaction to its earnings report. The online movie rental service and streaming providers reported an increase in profits in the second quarter. Earnings rose more than analysts had predicted, but investors reacted badly to the company's subscriber growth figures. Netflix added 1.68 million subscribers globally in the quarter and ended with 83.18 million subscribers. However, the company was only able to add 160,000 customers in the almost saturated U.S. market. All right, turning the channel to economic news, the European Central Bank left its key interest rates unchanged in its first policy session after the U.K.'s Brexit vote. Immediately after the vote, there had been some expectation that central banks would ease policy. The thought was that more stimulus could ease whatever economic impact was caused by the U.K.'s departure from the European Union. Generally speaking, policymakers have taken a wait-and-see attitude. That's basically what the ECB did last week. The central bank left interest rates alone and said they'd be able to better assess the Brexit impact in the coming months. Meanwhile, back here in the good old U.S. of A., housing was in focus last week. Sales of previously owned homes unexpectedly rose in June. The National Association of Realtors said that so-called existing home sales climbed 1.1% in the month, and economists had expected that figure to drop. Another report showed that housing starts were up in June as well. Housing starts represent new construction that has gotten off the ground. Government stats showed the figure jumped 4.8% in June. 
It's a bit higher than analysts had expected. And to finish off our review of last week, let's take a look at our current national obsession, the thing that has had us glued to our phones, the thing that gets us out among the people, the thing that has captured the national discourse. Now, we'll take a look at politics in a second. I'm talking about Pokemon Go. Yeah, it was something of a roller coaster week for Nintendo. Now, the company responsible for Pokemon Go saw its value double over a seven session period, including a 14% rise early last week. However, news that launch of the product would be delayed in Japan sparked a bit of profit taking on Wednesday. Still, the video game maker retained most of its spectacular gains. That's all a testament to the billions of dollars in value that we can all generate by wasting our time. Son, you're a politician. <laughs> no, we're ready. All right, even though it didn't have much impact on stocks, politics, of course, in the spotlight last week. The Republican National Convention dominated the headlines. We saw Melania Trump stealing parts of Michelle Obama's introduction speech, allegedly. We saw Ben Carson comparing Hillary Clinton to Lucifer. No comment. We saw Ted Cruz not endorsing his party's candidate at his party's convention. And we saw him getting booed because of it. We also saw Duck Dynasty, Dana White, and Scott Baio. <laughs> yeah, he's still around. And, of course, we saw... Trump himself. I humbly and gratefully accept your nomination for the presidency of the United States. And the political focus is going to continue this week as the Democratic Convention launches in Philly. So with the political silly season chugging along, we thought it might be appropriate to take a look at the connection between politics and the economy. Now, each party claims their policies are the key to prosperity and utopia. At the same time, each party argues that the other one is bent on the utter destruction of the U.S. economy. So, which one's right? Which party's better for business? Well, according to the statistics, the Democrats have a better record. Asterisk here. We'll get back to that. Economists Alan Blinder and Mark Watson published a study back in 2014 comparing economic performance under Democratic and Republican presidents. Now, they found that the economy does a bit better under Democrats in a number of important categories. Under Democratic administrations, the economy has grown about 4.3% on average, and that compares to roughly 2.54% for Republicans. Democratic presidents have also seen the country spend less in times of recession, have had lower average unemployment rates and a larger increase in hourly compensation. And key for Wall Street, Democratic presidents have presided over significantly better average returns from the S&P 500. Gains for those Democratic years, an average of 8.4%. Gains for Republican years, 2.7%. Not surprisingly, of course, Hillary Clinton has cited the study in her campaign. But before declaring Democrats the economic champions, insert asterisk here, it might be a little bit more complicated. You see, the authors of the study themselves have a bit of doubt as to whether to attribute the better performance to Democratic policies. They concede that some of it might be sheer luck. Yeah. Some of the main causes for difference in performance between the parties include things like oil price shocks, productivity levels, changes in defense spending, foreign economic growth, and changes in consumer expectations. It's not clear exactly how much control a president has on some of these. Policies might play into oil prices, but there's little the president of the U.S. can do about foreign economic growth. And the president has to deal with Congress. Yeah, the study didn't strip out what party controlled Congress at the time. So, for the time being, Democrats have the statistical edge, but it's hard to name them the unanimous winner. Okay, we've got about 60 seconds of privacy before they find out we're here now. So, uh, what's on your mind, Senator? I don't know. Okay, we got to get out there. See, I told you they'd be Marvin, what do we do now? 
Wait a minute, wait a minute, what? Well, just when you forgot you had to worry about them, they're back. Yeah, the Federal Reserve gets back into the act next week. Now, just a refresher, the last time we heard from these folks was uh, mid-June. Now, back in May, there'd been some growing belief that the Fed would be raising rates in the near future. And then the May employment report came out in the weeks before the Fed meeting. That report was, well, it was a real stinker and basically took the rate hike right off the table. Since the last meeting, a relatively strong jobs report came out for June, but the Brexit vote also took place. The policymakers may be wary to take action before they know about the economic consequences of that. So, with that all in mind, let's take a look at what the market's expecting from the Fed meeting. Now, according to Fed futures prices on the CME, there's virtually no chance of a rate hike this time around. The Fed is still around 98% likely to stand still. That's according to trader bets. Going out a little further, though, the chance of a rate hike begins to climb. Well, the markets are currently pricing in a 25% chance of a rate hike for its next meeting in September. A rate hike is about 50-50 sometime before the end of the year. So the Fed's going to soak up a little attention this week, but corporate news will remain the source of headlines yet again. The earnings season continues with another barrage of big-name corporate reports. Among the highlights, Apple. The iPhone and iPad maker set to announce its results Thursday. The company's looking at a tough quarter. Earnings are projected to be down from last year. Revenues are expected to fall a little more than 15%. That, of course, following disappointing results in its last quarter. Back in April, the company revealed that weak iPhone sales contributed to double-digit revenue declines in its second quarter. And the company also gave a cautious outlook. The company formerly known as Google, meanwhile, is set to announce its results as well. Alphabet, which is the parent company of the search engine giant, is announcing its results Thursday. Unlike Apple, uh, Google is expected to post higher earnings for its most recent quarter. Sales are projected to grow by 17%. Some other tech titans are due to release their earnings as well. Facebook and Amazon are both on the agenda. And a host of other big names are on the docket as well. You can expect results from McDonald's, Boeing, Coca-Cola, Ford, MasterCard, Merck, and UPS, among other. But wait, there's more. And if you call within the next 15 minutes, you'll get a free set of knives. Oh, uh, actually, it looks like uh, we're just plumb out of those. So uh, how about some economic data? Well, hey, you know, it is free. Beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, economic data is set to be released this week. And this includes some additional housing data. New home sales stats are due out Tuesday. That's a smaller part of the housing market than the existing home sales report. But each new home sale typically has more economic impact than an average existing home sale. So it's also a closely watched report. Also due out is GDP. That's the first look at how the economy did in the April to June period. And that result will be revised probably two times over the coming months. So it's not a final result, but it should provide a good look at how the economy has been doing. Of course, the economy didn't do very well in the first quarter. Growth over the January to March time frame was 1.1%. That was according to the final reading released last month. All right, thanks, everybody. This has been Offbeat Wall Street. And if you like the show, please go to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, go ahead and rate and review the show. Good ratings will help other people discover the show, so it's very helpful. Make sure you rate it real high. If you rate it real low, we're going to uh, take away your keyboard and mouse and ban you from the Internet. All right? Also, let all your friends know, because if you don't, we will. And we're going to tell your mom, too. And when mom gets on your case... Yeah. Also, check out our website at offbeatwallstreet.com. It's uh, just about ready and move-in condition. We're still kind of straightening out the picture frames and laying down the carpeting, but you can check out additional content there throughout the week at offbeatwallstreet.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at offbeatwallstreet.com, and that street like ST, 
like on a street sign. And of course, thanks to the Big BS for all the script writing and the co-production he does for the podcast. Couldn't do it without him. And also a special thanks to our good friends at RTT News and uh, even some of our enemies there too, because they provide a lot of the news and stats that we use in this here show. So if you want up-to-the-date info on the markets, check them out, rttnews.com. And of course, as we say goodbye, I just want to remind you that if you're trying to get your message out there, it's important to keep in close touch with your core constituency. Vote once. Vote twice. For Bill McKay. You middle-class honkies. Have a great week, everybody.